Live from the Motor City, all the way to the Volunteer State, it's time for the Reckless Speculation Podcast, where we recklessly speculate the latest news in the world of sports. From college football to NASCAR, we've got you covered. And don't forget to stick around for the world-famous Bet Your Nuts, where we will give you your best bets to make the most money. Now sit back, grab your favorite drink of choice, and join Robbie Davis, Raj Mehta, Brandon Chain, and Tom Sloan. It's showtime. Good evening, everybody. Uh, Yes, you're looking at a different host tonight. My name is Tom, and welcome to the Reckless Speculation Podcast. Uh, We're a little shorthanded this week. Uh, Robbie Davis and Brandon Chain are both on vacation, uh, enjoying the beach, I'm sure, uh, uh, drinking copious amounts of alcohol, I would presume. Um, so it's just going to be me and Raj today. And actually, the the plan originally was we weren't going to do a show this week. We we're going to take a break. But uh, Raj had a lot on his mind. So we decided to throw it together. So we're going to do maybe 45 minutes Uh get you guys going uh, into the NBA draft. So that's what we're going to lead with. Um, Bradley Beal gets traded to the Suns. We'll hit on that. There was also another trade tonight that we'll touch on. Going to hit a little bit on the Bob Huggins deal. You know, what is going on with that guy? And then we'll close with the Bet Your Nuts and final words. So without further ado, Mr. Raj Mehta, what is up tonight? Raj, you had a pretty busy night, huh? Yeah, man. It's been a busy week between traveling and, you know, as I mentioned to you all, you know, we're all big dog lovers on the show. And our 16-year-old Rosie uh, passed away Monday night. Oh, I'm sorry to hear um, No, I appreciate that. It was one of those things where her quality of life was so low. Yeah. But, um, you know, she was a survivor, her first owner. She was a rescue that abused her physically and blunt force trauma to her face. And it, it caused her to lose her eyeball. And no one ever okay. knew who he was. But. If I ever found out who he was, I'd probably go to jail for life. Uh, in the dog, in the shelter, she was so protective of her puppies. One of the other dogs remembered, ended up finding her in the mouth of that big dog after the puppies were adopted. So she's a survivor, and we gave her a second life, a rebirth, if you will. And yeah. we do find solace in that. Uh, old or not, it's never easy. Oh. As you know. And uh, But no, it's, uh, my other girl, Phoebe, who's been on this show, you know, when it, it kind of got to me when it finally hit her, she was like scratching yep. the blanket, trying to get her to play with her and whimpering, like what's, what's happening. And yeah, that yeah, part was, ah, damn, man, I could have done without that, but Hey, it's death is a part of life, man. And she's in a better place now. And that's actually the truth. So now did you have her put down or did she go naturally? No, she went naturally. And, okay. and for those that, you know, I don't, we don't have this as a sponsor, but you know, I reached out to something I found, online called lap of love and it's actually i believe a national service that basically coordinates with local um veterinarians in your area about home euthanasia and whatnot because oh okay we couldn't deal she got scared enough with the 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 cold table and them taking blood you know for holding her for two days to tell us what we already knew so um she had kidney issues as well So, and they were super comforting and, um, yeah, we almost went that route and I had to go to Nashville the following morning and I don't want to say fortunately, but she did pass while we were both there. Okay. And, uh, so that was, that was all, uh, you know, 
in in a world of shitty circumstance that was the the least of the shittiest and yeah it was uh but no i appreciate it man she was a fighter so i had a, a cat that had almost 16 years and uh she had kidney failure and we were supposed to take her to the vet to be put down and that morning she went literally i had her in my arms and i said you can go and she took one last breath right in my arms and it was it was to say it was magical i don't know if that's the right word but it was surreal to know that you were with her or i was with her at her last breath and then you were the same with with your dog so i mean it's and then shortly thereafter we lost the dog so yeah i mean it's it's never easy it in it they're your family and i don't have children of, of my own so the animals were near and dear to me so uh, my condolences to you and your family this week. I know it's never. <laughs> Thanks, bro. I mean, it's the journey, not the destination. Some people get torn up by that stuff. My mom is one, and I try to remind her, like, I'll take any day with that dog than, you know, just yep. dealing yep. with the consequence of the afterlife. So, sure. Yeah, part of life. And then, uh, yeah. and Nashville and birthday party today and all that, all that good all stuff. All over the map all over the map and so we we did have to push this back a little bit to make sure that we got on so before we go any further i do want to uh highlight our sponsors for the show um dave davis keller and davis our own robbie davis is part of that law firm. Uh, from what i gather they're a pretty good law firm <laughs> and they're always up for uh uh law firm of the year of the year in chattanooga so we're glad that to be a part of them and C&W Construction, Mr. Brandon Chains. So we are definitely happy to have them as sponsors. And don't forget, we're always powered by Jack Single Barrel. So pour, pour yourself a glass, whether you like it dirty or do you like it on the rocks, whatever. I prefer mine on the rocks. I don't know. I don't drink it very often, but when I do, it's got to be cold. So uh Raj, you can you see why the, those two sponsors and our other dudes are on vacation right now. <laughs> We're sitting here, uh, but we can all be drinking delicious Jack. Uh, if I didn't have to leave for Knoxville early in the morning, I'd be all over that. And well, I think I'm that's why this week has been so stressful because I've been sober and that part has sucked. I'm drinking the uh, yellow jacket, the, uh, the, the Coors uh, banquet. So yeah, dude. Um, figured I need one after tonight. So we're going to get this thing going with um nba draft coming up tomorrow and i think it's probably uh since lebron the biggest uh no surprise who's gonna go number one victor Wembenyama. i always seem to mess that name up i call um, him Wemby because i do the same Wemby, i think i think that's probably uh what they would call him uh anywhere else um, but we got a little quick little snippet of Mr. Wem Wemby. We'll just go with Wemby. They're not calling timeout. Ten seconds left. Got to go. Tremont Waters to the hoop. Lays it up. No, the follow. No, Wemby Yama with the put back. That doesn't quite go for Tremont Waters against his buddy Wemby. There's that handle. <laughs> oh my. Whew. 
highlight, and here it is again. I mean, that clip there, have you ever seen somebody with his size be able to handle or dribble the ball like that? No, and he, I don't care about the knock on the competition and whatnot. The reality is he's one guy that at times, and I call him Wemby because it's kind of like Gumby. He's almost like a shapeshifter. I mean, he's the same guy, but he's seven foot four. And on some plays, I have to do a double take because that looks like a six foot four guard, like a two guard, the way you can handle the basketball and cross people up and smooth jumpers and, and one handers. And then, of course, he's a rim protector. He's a guy that can guard kind of like Anthony Davis, but way more athletic in that he can guard multiple positions, but with the length and ferocity of, of a center of a five. Um, yeah, he is. I mean, I saw the guy split double teams, a seven foot four center, like see seven, four and he's not built. You know, it's amazing. Cause when it comes to like anatomy and physicality and whatnot, I'm not going to air into personal air into historics, but Back in the day, a seven foot four guy was a guy that was plotting. That was, uh, you know, like um, uh, not minute bowl. I mean, he was up there, but he could barely move. And then uh, George Mirajan, these types of dudes. I mean, this they were dude, post up. They were post up guys, 10, 10 feet from the basket at the most. If they were that, you know, they yeah. they came down for every other possession because they were still moving, you know, in transition. I, this guy is just. I mean, people have been on him forever because he is literally a freak like in terms of the ability like i said he, sometimes he looks like he's seven feet tall other times six feet he looks like a one he looks like a two he looks like a four he looks like a five i've, I've never seen anybody like this well if you look if you look at how uh, nikola Jokic is is crafts his game we'll say similar style where he might bring the ball up the court and he, he might basically have the offense run through him and then he and then he backs down the down to the to the lane. So, um, but he's got a bit of a bigger body style. Is that one thing that concerns you? Like he he just seems to be real thin. Do you think that maybe bodying up with some of the bigger uh, big men might be a, a a tough thing for him, especially coming from the the French league? Fifteen years ago, absolutely. In today's NBA, no. I don't think so. I think it's just a wide open game with the way they're officiated. Um, you don't see a lot of muscling and bodying. Um, you know, Garnett was a skinny guy, but he was also a mean dude with a different attitude. Um, and certainly not French, not trying to offend any French <laughs> natives out there, but yeah, I mean, I think it, it would have, but he's also built differently. Like I said, you know, you can kind of see guys like, Zion or, you know, even Durant with the, the consistent uh, uh, plantar fasciitis, Odin with those types of, you know, that eventually that body structure and anatomy couldn't support their game. Right. He doesn't appear to be built that way. But then again, you can't deny or cheat God or Mother Nature. But his game just is so fluid. It's so different than I, I don't even like think of that yet well who um, was the kid drafted last year out of i believe it was gonzaga that real tall kid 
Chad Holmgren, yeah, and he Holmgren, yeah, he was you know similar body style, and 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 he gets hurt early on. He misses the entire year. I yep. I, I think that is probably the only concern if there is one with his game. Realistically, I agree. I mean, you just there's a reason why seven foot four dudes don't do this very often, and it, you know it's not just because of talent or or learned ability. Um, he does appear to be built differently and moves differently and is a little bit more muscular, at least in frame and different places than Holmgren. Uh, but no, I agree. You know, you're you're always taking a risk with that, and, and like we said, the freaks of nature like Durant and Odin and you know, uh, Holmgren, those types of dudes, um, you know, their body eventually, like their feet, can't support what they do. Um, and that's obviously not clinical, but I agree. I mean, you you got to be concerned about that. But, I mean, I know you know that not enough to, to move on from this kid. Like oh, you no. said, he's, he's the biggest hype since 2003. Yeah, so they're saying is it's he's a generational type player, probably the biggest prospect since LeBron would, would mm-hmm. you agree with that assessment I am I am but there's a lot of unknown here that adds to the mystique the intrigue him being French and 19 and hearing about him forever and playing in Europe where we yeah. don't see him every day so there's certainly a lot that's unknown well we had a guy here in 2003 that we drafted that uh was from Serbia. He played professional in Serbia, and I believe he was 18 when he drafted uh, Darko Milicic, uh, and he just became the human uh, cigar, basically, with the Pistons, and he had a big hype train behind him. European professional. He played professional ball for a couple years before he came to the NBA. You know, He had the fundamentals. It, it, It just never stuck, and now I don't believe that this will be the case with Wembenyama, but uh, you have to wonder with some of these European players that, you know, they fundamentally they're sound, but can they handle the the aggressive play? Not that there is much aggressive play in the NBA, but it is faster and there's more skill involved. So that does that concern or should that concern any GM, specifically the Spurs, because you know they're going to take them. I think it's something to think about. And you brought up a great point because, well, two things. Number one, thank God you guys won a title in 2004 because if not, that franchise would have burned to the ground. And and it really said a lot about them having to seem like like kind of build elsewhere and, yeah. and a lot from within and develop guys like Big Show or what was Chauncey's name? Oh, uh, big shot, the big no, big shot, Chauncey. Yep. Yeah, Mister Big, big shot, shot. Bob. Yeah, that's it. Thank you. Um, but yeah, I, I think he would have been more of a punchline if Detroit didn't win a championship. But it made me wonder when you said that, like, what about him playing in today's game where he didn't get his ass kicked? Mm-mm. You know, then and really, I mean, because as you know, he's infamous because right after him were Chris. Boss, Dwayne Wade, Carmelo Anthony, all Hall of Famers. Um, I'm trying to think of others. There there wasn't a ton in that draft after him. Three was was definitely a good draft. Yeah, the top of it sure as hell was. Um, But yeah, I mean that is a very interesting point. And with Darko, 
I know his injury history was there, but there certainly was a very abrupt difference between the European game then and the American mm-hmm. game then. Right. Whereas now I don't think the difference is nearly I, as abrupt. I agree. I think I think it's more predicated on offense. And you know, if you breathe on a guy, there's a there's a foul called. So these Europeans, and you're seeing it. You're seeing it with Luca, with uh Nicola, these guys are just, they're so fundamentally sound offensively and and they can play multiple positions. And, and I think that's a test to the way they bring these kids up in the European game. I, as far as I know, they, they really don't compete much until they're 14. So yeah. they're, they're basically learning the game of basketball <laughs> until they're ready to play. And, and then you do the flip side here. I mean, by the time they're 14, these kids have been, they've got a million followers on Instagram and they're, you know, they're being recruited already. So it's, it's a little bit different culture uh, with these Europeans coming over in, in comparison to the American kids. But um, yeah, I agree with you. I think, I think the way the NBA is, is, is positioned now, it's a game designed for the European play, the fundamentals and uh we all know that Adam Silver loves offense and not defense, clearly, because he changed the game after 2005, but I digress. So, obviously, that's the number one pick. So, we kind of kind of dive into the, uh, the next phase, we'll say, who, per ESPN, uh, Brandon Miller going two to the Hornets, Scoot Henderson to Portland and then Eamon Thompson won half of the, the Thompson twins and then Jerace Walker to the Pistons, which I'm not sure if I like that because we have about five guys on the, on the uh, roster already that play his position. So Raj, would you agree with this sentiment here that Brandon Miller probably go number two? I think so. I think he's definitely a better fit for Charlotte than, than Scoot, but it seems like it'll be those three guys uh, with one set and the other two flip-flopping uh, based upon fit, but neither of those teams are, are very well known uh, for making the smart decision. Let's just put it that way. Well, if you, if you go by this list, Scoot Henderson to the Trailblazers, there's a lot of rumblings that um, Lillard, Damon might be moved. Um Miami, they're one destination that that apparently is very curious about whether or not Portland will move him or not. So if they move Damon Lillard, Scoot Henderson, if they draft him, he automatically becomes the face of the franchise. Absolutely. And it's ironic that Beal was finally dealt and and the Wizards really screwed up their leverage and their overall package, which – I know that we're going to discuss and that you know a lot about, but they should have traded Beal probably two years prior, and Portland really should have done the same. Lillard is 32 years old. Whatever they can get for him is dropping by the second. Sure. He already said he wants out. Um, You know, two years ago, they could have gotten so much for him, and they've just been that frisk, fringe rather team, frisk, frisky as well. They used to be, not anymore. But kind of in that, you know, six, seven seed every year, first, maybe second round playoff exit, but they never did enough. 
to either get past or to regroup, take one step back in hopes of taking two steps forward. They've just been status quo. And they've got to do something with Dame, in my opinion. Um, you know, you could have gotten a Paul George Hall, or you can get, you know what, the Wizards got, which really wasn't as nearly as much as they could have gotten a couple years ago. Right. Hmm. Yeah, I, I, we will hit on on the the Beal trade in a minute, but um, it, it seems like Washington maybe got fleeced in the situation. But uh, sticking to the uh, NBA draft tomorrow, one thing we we always talk about, we talked about this in the NFL draft, is the speculation, so to speak, of possible gems, diamonds in the rough. Players that aren't getting the hype might get drafted a little bit later, but end up being really good NBA players. So, Raj, we we decided we're going to pick three. So what are your three hidden gems in this year's NBA draft? That's a great question. And I've gone back and forth on this quite a bit. And to me, I define gem as a guy that you can pick now that, and we talked about this on how a lot of guys get slept on. Maybe the guys that have been in college for three or four years, because in basketball, it's a place where sometimes in football too, where, you know, the football, the combine can kind of erase or make people forget about on-field productivity. And, you know, never mind this over there, a la Anthony Richardson, but he ran a 4-2 and can jump out of the building. So basketball, you know, it, the same thing's, should be considered right and that's what i think of when i come uh to possible gyms and i, I look at a guy like the guy that i never would have said three years ago because i've seen him play his entire i thought he was slow you know i thought he couldn't create he's just a savvy veteran bucket getting high iq player in jaime Haquez jr from ucla um, he's older but it, he's just a guy that can create He's not gifted athletically, but he's much quicker than you think. He's just, like I said, a savvy guy, a guy that's going to draw fouls with a, a number of uh, pump fakes, great feet, uh, just passing, you name it. Like I said, a highly intelligent player. He's a guy that can go to a team now and contribute. You know, a guy like Christian Braun in Kansas came in and, you know, showed a, a, a much more veteran presence and in many ways was kind of, you know, one of those extra pieces they needed to get over the hump. Um, another guy that we had talked about, and I started looking like into, you know, where people consider second round guys that probably should go first. And, and that collegiate production thing is, is uh, Julian Strother from Gonzaga. No, he wasn't consistent, but the offense has changed every year and he, he went from, he was sort of asked to put the team on his back at weird occasions. It would seem. And he almost always delivered. He has a lot of game from basically three different places on the court. He can get to the basket. He's long, he's wiry. He can shoot. Um, he's kind of got that moxie. He's not afraid of the moment. Um, so I think Strother's game will translate well um, to the next level. You and I, um, and, and Along those same lines, two more. One, even though he doesn't seem to have 
he's kind of like a, a, a jack of all trades, but a master of few or none is Keontae Johnson, the kid from Kansas State that was at Florida. The great story, you yeah. know, the clubs on court, but you, you know, you could you could tell that guy has got a lot of it. The moxie, the heart. He's a great leader. And he's um, been through a lot. Been through a lot. Uh, you know, to, just that those intangibles on and off the court that, you know, you can't measure that stuff. He's kind of a Donovan Mitchell-esque type of player. Absolutely. Big body, but can shoot. And, and, you know, he along the same lines, you, you know, I talking about the same thing, I was just thinking, you know, Kwame Brown, the big-ass kid from Mizzou. But overall, when, when I'm going down this list, a kid that had to do a lot at UCLA also. I can't believe I'm t- picking two Bruins <laughs> and stepped up because of their injuries that Jalen Clark and, and uh, God, everybody was hurt almost except Hawkes, but it was Amari Bailey. Amari Bailey was considered, you know, a top five player nationally when he was, went to UCLA, he was considered a lottery pick. He didn't play as much early and didn't develop as much, but that's also because he was not used to not handling the ball. And they had a four year point guard in Tiger Campbell. Later in the year and in the NCAA tournament, he was outstanding. He was dynamic. He was not with the power of Russell Westbrook, but a very similar game, a similar trajectory out of UCLA that when asked, it it just seemed like a different kid. And I think he's going to be sensational. He's far more athletic and gifted, uh, especially in, you know, the, the parting seas that is the NBA in the middle of the court. (laughs) <laughs> he's going to get to the basket and finish. And athletically, he, he reminds me of Zach Levine, another guy that wasn't considered to go as high at a UCLA of Ru- Russell Westbrook. Um, these one-two combo guards that can really bring a lot to the floor. And Amari Bailey, I would not be surprised, is, is uh, on that first or second team all-NBAA rookie team. Yeah, I mean, you you just never know. and le- The trajectory of certain kids – and then some some things happen, and and or there's a there's another flash in the pan that comes in. They, these guys kind of take the back seat. So my three, uh, Marcus Sasser out of Houston. This this kid was really special coming in, and unfortunately, I believe he had a foot injury in the tournament that pretty much slowed him down. Um, he's a senior. Big fan of these older uh, oh, upperclassmen. I I just I just think when it comes to the NBA. It's maturity, and 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 if they can be mature in that transition from the college game to the pro game, it 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 the game doesn't seem to be as big to some of these upperclassmen, and he fits that mold. Trace Jackson uh, Davis from Indiana, he this kid averaged twenty almost twenty one a night, uh, almost eleven boards a game and four assists. That's today's NBA right there, kind of a uh, three four who can, can score, he can drive the lane, and he's aggressive at, 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 on the, uh, the, the defensive glass. So I look at him mid-second rounder, also a senior. He was four years at Indiana, just kind of – A lot of instability around him. You know, he was asked to kind of do a lot, especially every year when it comes to creating the, you know, shot and whatnot. And, again, he, he's a big kid, dude, like you said, and – um, like how big is he again? I forgot because he, he moves. He, he yeah. is very versatile. Like he, you moves, said. he moves like a two uh, yeah. around the court. 
He's really, you know, he's he's undersized physically, we'll say, but I think he's like 6'10", 6'11", but he's... I think in... Did you cut out on me or no? I cannot hear you, but you can hear me, so I'll keep going on that. Um, no, I, I think of today's NBA, back in the day, the, the tweeners, I always talk about a guy named Sam Clancy out of USC uh, that was a, basically a national player of the year, but there was no place for him in the NBA at 6'9 in, in the traditional 1, 2, 3, 4, 5 game. I think you're back. Um, but uh, in today's NBA, it, it's almost positionless in many respects, and a guy like Trace Jackson Davis, I, I completely agree. Um he, he is a hidden gem. Maybe it's because people expected more from him in some weird way, but they don't consider the circumstances around him and uh, how it was very easy for teams to, to focus and collapse a lot on him. And, and, and I think there was a lot of unfair expectations that didn't evolve. And I agree because he was once considered to be a, a, a top 10 pick easy. And suddenly he's not. I apologize. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> my camera went out five minutes ago, and on my microphone. I, oof, hopefully, uh, we're 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 back. So, uh, yes, my third. I'll, I'll get jumped right to my third one. My third guy is a local product, Imani Bates, Eastern Michigan. This kid was all the hype about three, four years ago. Committed to Memphis. And it just seemed like trouble followed him wherever he was. And he decided to just kind of take himself out of the uh, uh, the big schools. He chose to go to Eastern Michigan right down the street from me. Um, had a nice season, averaged almost 20 points a game. He's a real streaky type of, of um, guard. Uh, he, he's not afraid to drive the lane. And, and I look at him as a situation where he was at the top recruiting and he got knocked down and now he's building himself up. So I think that maturity could be a good thing coming into the NBA. I, I, I see him a late second round. I think that's what ESPN had him projected. So I just, I look at a kid who, who had the world, he was going to go, he was a top five recruit, we'll say. And, and then it just, it was gone for whatever reason. He wasn't prepared mentally, uh, and he built himself up. And, and And I think he's the type of guy that, um, yeah, Tim Tim said uh, he had a gun incident. But, um, you know, we'll see. If he gets put with the right organization, that's going to sit him down and, and teach him not only the, the, the game of basketball, how, how to play in the NBA, but to teach him how to be a man. I, I, I think that could be a, a player five years down the road you look at as uh, a steal in this draft. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, this is a side note, just something for people to think about because we discussed how we don't have a definitive answer for this, but it, it used to seem like 70% of the NBA players came from 25 different schools. In this day and age, you've got first-round selections this year from Pepperdine and Santa Clara and Central Florida and uh, Central Michigan and all over the place. And and 
I'm not taking away from Bates when I'm saying this. It just brought me onto the topic because Bates made the decision, a very intelligent decision. We don't know about the recent alleged incidents about a gun. I don't know about that. Um, but, you know, he did decide to go small school. And, and whether that was for whatever reason, it certainly didn't mean doom as for his future as right. that would have meant that 20 years ago, you know. And, and Oh, absolutely. For whatever reason, you're, you're seeing teams and schools all over the country come up with NBA talent now. And, and you and I discussed this to, you know, we looked at uh, kids like the Maxwell kid out of Pepperdine and uh, Pods, uh, Podiemski, I can't pronounce his name, Brandon Podiemski, the kid out of Santa Clara that are sophomores. And there's also these kids that, that sort of like, holy shit, did that kid develop and grow that much in, in the summer and off season and suddenly was able to add, you know, grow six inches and add these different mm-hmm. elements of his game and he's lengthy and fit it, you know, and yeah, you, you could be rangy. That's a great thing and have length and, uh, today's positionless game. It makes you so versatile and you're seeing those holy shit kids. And to me, like I said, that's counterintuitive to today's world of, of the transfer portal and almost, you know, not having to, to anchor down anywhere. And, um, these kids are a lot of them are staying and, and saying, Hey man, I, I grew up here. These coaches taught me and I can go here or stay here and get drafted. And, um, it, it just seems like it's, as the NBA has changed and left from that prototypical mold, you know, we talked about tweeners and other things. It's just opened just a door doors to, you know, all sorts of different basketball and basketball players and basketball games. It's, well, it's like if some you look type shit. If you look at the tournament, for example, there's more and more of these lower tier schools that are going deep in the tournament. So eyeballs are getting on some of these kids from these, you know, less lesser known schools. So that kind of falls into place as to why this draft is more infiltrated with some of these schools that aren't, you know, really known as basketball schools. It's just because the, I, I guess it's just the parody is a little more in, in college basketball, it seems where college football, you know, who's going to be there. It's going to be the yeah. same five, six, seven teams in basketball. It's, it, it's different every year. And I think that's the beauty of, of the tournament. It, it certainly changed the zoom levels. Whereas, you know, you'd have to be zoomed in on, like I said, X amount of schools and positions and, and players to just a wide frame shot of the game. Yeah. And, because you're right, difference makers can come from anywhere, any mm-hmm. position today. For sure. So you're joining the Big Ten next year, your allegiance. And uh, the uh, Big Ten is known as uh, the basketball conference, although they've been at this point for the past couple of years. But we're going to highlight some Big Ten players that could potentially go. Now, this is obviously per ESPN's latest mock draft, Michigan's Kobe Bufkin, 13, the Toronto, uh, Jet Howard from Michigan, uh, Juwan's kid going to the Lakers. Uh, we'll talk about that. Um, Chris Murray uh, from Iowa, another uh, upperclassman for Iowa. And then uh, Sensabaugh, who we talked about earlier, uh, you and I, Raj, in text, uh, as a top 
uh, Big Ten guy that could potentially go. They've got him going uh, first pick in the second round. Um, so my take on Kobe Bufkin, uh, I compare him a lot to uh, Tim. Tim is our resident Buckeye fan, and, uh, yeah, I think he likes uh, if his sense of ball goes to uh, the Pistons. But Bufkin is, is to me, I, I liken him to Jordan Poole. He's undersized. He's real streaky. Uh, he can shoot the three. He takes a lot of threes. Obviously, in Juwan Howard's offense, he can take a lot of threes. Threes. I gotta believe. I gotta admit, I'm I'm really surprised that they've got him going that high. I I was unsure that he would even get picked in the first round. I I, I was surprised when he decided to leave Michigan. Uh, there was a max mass exodus uh, from Ann Arbor, but uh, Buffkin is just. I don't know if he's got the body or the size, um, but he can shoot, and, and that was pool situation coming out I, I i kind of felt the same way i wasn't sure if if his game would equate to the nba and, and it has up until late till he decided to mess around with instagram models but uh uh would you would you agree that buffkins may be in that same mold yeah man he and uh Koulibaly, the other french sensation if you will i've been the two kids that have been shooting up draft boards during their team workouts um, just showing in person what they can do. And, you, you know, there's a lot less rigidity, if you will, in the offenses of in the NBA, as we've said. Um, you know, for some kids, it's easier. You know, it's it, it's in many respects uh, just to show what they can do in, in terms of their game. And, and many people think Bufkin's game uh, is going to translate really well. You know, he, he's very athletic, very rangy, just another crazy wingspan kid. Um, you know, with Jed Howard, yeah, the Lakers, a lot of people see him going there mainly because he's a he's a heck of a knockdown shooter, right? He, he's a catch-and-shoot guy. And the Lakers always need that, you know, especially with everyone else on that team. Um, <laughs> I'd rather see a guy like Jordan Hawkins out of Connecticut go to them more proven shooter uh but you know i guess we'll see i didn't see enough of jet howard's game uh to help out boy sensaba he, he's another beautiful example of a guy like sam clancy he's 6'8 6'9 235 but just plays like he can play the two even with some of his shooting abilities the three the four he doesn't quite get to the basket he certainly play the five with his size in college um, but like another versatile kid, he's got an NBA body right now. So he can get on the floor now and learn and develop faster than other other kids could, um, which really means that he can fit anywhere. And so that type of uh, adaptability, if you will, is big in his appeal. Uh, I don't see a team that's going to be like, ah, oh, no, we couldn't use that guy in today's NBA. Hell yeah, you could. You know, he's kind of like a, doesn't have the playmaking abilities and handles and vision of, of Draymond, but he's kind of like built like that sort of like it, it. It's weird, but just a super high ceiling for Bryce Sensabaugh. I I look at that list in Jet Howard. He hit the he hit the floor running his freshman year. There was a lot of hype him coming in, and he lived up to it early on. Then he got injury. He got he got an injury, and that kind of set the team back. But then the, the team started to 
to learn how to win without him. And then once he came back, they, they kind of they fell off. But I think he's got a very high ceiling. He's very athletic. He is the opposite of his of how his dad played. His dad was a was a post up guy, and and that was it. He was going to get you rebounds, and he's going to get you smooth some points right below the bucket. So, but Howard is, you you said it right. He's a catch and shoot guy, but he's got the ability to drive the lane, and and he's still growing. I I, I think out of those four, he's got potential. And if you if you sit him down, obviously LeBron's going to be there this year. After that, who knows? But if he can sit there and watch, and learn from LeBron James, there's a lot of upside to the Lakers taking him. Um, obviously, he's got that he's got the pedigree with his dad. His brother never really amounted to a whole lot. I think he's still on the on Michigan, but <laughs> I, I think he's got a lot of potential. It, again, in the right system with the right player to kind of like show him the ropes. It's the kiss of death for freshmen. They get hurt ever. But to me, especially before the season or early on or in the middle, it's when it comes to the development of their game, um, you know, at the end, it, it kind of is what it is, but it, he, he obviously affected, like you said, the entire team continuity. Um, and, and once he went down mid season, that was a team early on that was beating giants and then just fell off. And right. we talked about, you know, Michigan, if Dickinson were in this draft and hypothetically, if he were a first round pick, you know, it's just odd that they had such, such talent on that team and, and they certainly underachieved, but they had injuries and they happened to the wrong guys at the wrong time, the time for sure. never, never a right time for injury, but you can see with a young team when their development will just completely stop and you just can't get back up to speed in time. Well, speaking of Dickinson, I mean, I have my opinions of Hunter Dickinson. <laughs> I think, I think three years ago, he was a consensus lottery pick hmm. and they got right up to the end and, and, and couldn't, couldn't, uh, couldn't bring home the championship. And he came back, and I was shocked because that was the opposite of what most of these kids do these days. They go for the money. He decides to come back, and I think that was the biggest mistake of his basketball career because each year he's regressed, he's regressed, he's regressed. And then he hit the portal, and now he's going to Kansas. So if there's a coach out there that can kind of get him whipped up into shape, it is Bill Self. And I don't know. From what I've seen last year, I've never seen a guy miss so many baskets right at the basket. And maybe he can fix that situation. Maybe a change of scenery is right for him. But I just don't know. I don't know if, if, if this year is enough to get him back in the draft shape. But I do you look at him as NBA prospect? He's not. He doesn't have the size for a center. And I don't think he has the athletic ability to play play the four or the five. I just maybe I'm being overly critical of somebody that just underachieved here. I mean, he's this is called irony because we talked about the changes to the game and whatnot. And a guy like Hunter Dickinson probably would have been much more effective in the league 15 years ago with his style of play and his game and and 
a building. Yeah, deer. I, mean, I think we saw that. Yeah, he is. I mean, he's like seven feet tall, right? Six eleven or something. He's but close. he's slow. He's Very. not agile. Doesn't have great feet. And I think in that tournament run, he got hot and he showed a lot more of his range and his ability to shoot the ball. Um, you know, he can shoot with both hands, but he was just on fire, you know, especially against Tennessee. His name is a bad name to Tennessee volunteers. They're bad words, the Vols basketball. Um, but reality did set in, you're right. And, and not only could he not hit anything outside of four or five feet the last couple of years. It allowed teams to double, you know, much closer to the hoop and it killed their spacing. And then he's missing gimmies and bunnies and they're contested. Whereas before you had to respect him from 10, 15 feet away from the hoop. You don't have to anymore. So yeah, I absolutely think you're right that I don't know what he was thinking in, in hindsight. It just seemed like he would get better and that's why he came back. But I mean, he had to know that, he wasn't that great of a shooter and he couldn't create his own shot. And a lot of that was tournament swag. And I don't want to blame refs here, but he certainly got some nice treatment in those, you know, he was a superstar in the NCAA tournament. He really was. He was, you know, leading the bill on the CBS commercials on the lead ins, you know, uh, he got some, a lot of favorable things went his way, including the basketball going in the basket. So yeah, you're right. And that's a lot of, he made a lot of noise doing podcasts and uh, with his opinion of Michigan State. And it just I just feel like his mouth got in the way this year. He, he, he wrote checks that he just couldn't cash. And, and in the long run, he ended up transferring out. It, it just it wasn't a good look. I mean, if you would have said after that NCAA tournament, oh, hey, yeah, uh, Hunter Dickinson's going to come back, not for one, but two more years and then yeah. transfer – to Kansas. What do you think about that? Instead of being a lottery pick, I'd be like, uh, yeah, you're, you're fucking crazy. And uh, I was surprised that, that a, that he went to Kansas and B Kansas would want him. So I, I they're kind of a fly, high flying offense. And, and I, and I don't know if he's got the bill. We'll learn really quick. That, that, that conference is pretty strong. So They've lost um, some guards and, you know, some guys that can help create. So it looks like they're going to be a little bit more uh, outside in, but we'll see. You're right. That, that's going to be a change of, of pace for them. And one thing we mentioned a little bit, a little uh, earlier ago, it was some of the upperclassmen, if you, if you go down the mock draft this year and then in previous years, a lot of the upperclassmen are late rounders or, uh, free agent picks and, and is is it because they've spent more time in college uh that tells some of these gms that maybe they're not prepared for the game or or why do you think it is that way uh, with a lot of these upperclassmen like i said i i like some of these older guys because they're more mentally prepared for the game but it, as far as the the uh the gms are concerned they don't look at it that way yeah, I mean, we had that rhetorical discussion earlier because we don't know the answer, and that's why I say it's fairly rhetorical um, in that if you're not a true freshman and you're not taken right away, does that is that a bad thing for your NBA draft prospects, and is that a bad thing for your basketball career uh, in general in the NBA at the next level? Uh, and those are two distinct and separate 
rhetorical questions. Um, you know, you look at a guy like Oscar Shibwe that I was surprised now he stayed in the draft uh, because, yeah, he's a super effective college player, but his muscle and and heart, dog in him, everything, rebounding nature, having that kind of bounce ability, they say, the way to see where the ball bounces. Yeah, that that's huge, but he's just an overall sloppy player if you look at his – fouls and turnovers and, and bad screens being set. And, you, you know, there's kind of a reason why the NBA doesn't want him and whether it's plotting and his body doesn't allow for him to be quick enough to do a lot of that stuff. Because really, if you're that size, you're going to be having to move quickly because the NBA is a big time high pick and roll league. Mm-hmm. What is it? But, you know, does he have the feet to do that? And a lot of people think no. And that's why. But you're looking at a guy there that, like you said, I mean, who has been more productive than that guy in college? Um, you know, and maybe that's a bad example, but, uh, you know, Jalen Pickett, the Penn State senior guard, uh, Isaiah Wong, a guy I really like, the lengthy guard from Miami, both seniors. Um, you know, and it's just very interesting, as we've discussed, Jalen Wilson from Kansas. Uh, you know, it's crazy to me how these guys are asked in the NCAA tournament to take the big shot and win a championship – and then on, be on the, on the biggest stage on the biggest stage and then be like just a foregone conclusion that these guys are late second rounders. And, you know, I'm just like, wow. And when I think about their game and I see what people are saying, that's one thing, but you know, we at this show obviously have a big time gripe about, you know, the, the, the metrics and the, scouts and combines and that crap versus seeing what a guy can do on the biggest stage under pressure. And those are the guys that we need to see more of guys like you said, and guys like, you know, Marcus Sasser, big time. Um, I I said, Keontae Johnson, uh, Jalen Pickett, uh, the the guy from Penn state, um, Strouder. It's, it's going to be interesting, but yeah, all those guys suddenly are, uh, you know, there's no doubt I've been scrolling like, Oh yeah, I'm wondering where this guy's going. And then like having to scroll down, scroll down, scroll down. And like, well, shit doesn't like what he did on the floor matter at all. Like sometimes you see scouting reports that it's the same when, you know, AAU and those guys got their hands on them and started paying for their bios and I'm, I'm going down that QAnon route, but you know, like you just don't see any kind of evolution in the description of the kid in their game. And that's like, wow. Like the kid could play. Yeah. Well, the flip side of that is some of these G league and the, the, the elite leagues, uh, these kids decide from high school, they're going to go and play in these leagues. What are your opinion of that? Because I've seen some Scoot Anderson, um, some Amon Thompson. It's like street ball. And, and, and I don't know how weathered they are or how, you know, fundamentally sound they are. They're athletic as all get up. They can't take that away from them. But how mentally prepared are they to, to go into the NBA? I saw a YouTube video of, of Scoot. Uh, basically highlighting how he spent his first million dollars. And, and that that mind space or that mindset kind of concerns me, especially that they have him going at number three. 
Yeah. Um, I wasn't a big fan of that either. Uh, I, I mean, in the league that does so much along with the NFL to promote fiscal responsibility, the G league is kind of their baby. And yeah, man, like that, that was unnecessary to see that type of crap. And unfortunately, you know, when you look at the G league, who do you think of kids that have gone that route? I know that, you know, I, it's only been two classes or three classes and, I can really only think of, you know, Jalen Green when it comes to guys that have really set the world on fire. Mm -hmm. And even that took time. Um, do I think Scoot isn't the same level? No, I, I don't. Um, you know, I think Isaiah Todd was another one, but, you know, he's been thrown around as in drafts. Um, Deshaun Nix, who's going to go to UCLA, he's sitting at the end of a bench. Jonathan Kuminga looked like he was going to do something at Golden State. Yeah. Uh, basically about to be traded. Um, it doesn't seem like those that have really sacrificed college, the pageantry and whatnot, that it seemed like a real threat to, to a game that we all love college basketball. Right. Um, it, it doesn't seem like the G league is much of a threat. And, and, you know, I thought I'm, I'm not labeling Scoot or anybody else, but, I thought a lot of kids did it for the money because their family needed it or because they didn't want to take a risk or whatnot. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, maybe it showed immaturity on that level and, and sort of was a was an ad for why going to college is important. But long story short, it doesn't seem like it's developing. Like you said, it seems more street ball and the G League hasn't improved or disproved anybody's status per se or stock. But it's certainly shown that kids that have gone to the league are less developed yeah. than those that have gone to college for whatever reason. And it likely is that responsibility. I don't know what the inside of the G League looks like, but not impressed. My my personal opinion, not that it matters or anybody cares, but I always think that it should be set up similar to basketball or even college baseball. You, you got to commit three years. And I, I think that's the, the maturity process. I think the NBA is watered down. There's a lot of teams that are filled with players that they're the same player. And skill level, level they're, they're, they probably shouldn't be in the NBA. Maturity level, they probably shouldn't be in the NBA. And that's just because they, they, they go to Kentucky, they do a one and done. Or they go to another school and they do a one and done. And their, their, their ability, their talent gets them to the NBA, but they're not mature enough to prosper in the NBA. And I think that's what's wrong with today's game. That That's my opinion. I'll get off my soapbox. And um, I, I get it. The, it just, it, it seems like in today's world of NILs and whatnot, you know, there, I understand the need that many, especially when we consider basketball, where it's most densely played and, the, the resources needed aren't like a golf or other sports. And, you know, oftentimes financial need does play a role in these things. Oh, and, sure. and and that's why, you know, that this was an alternative to 18 year olds to having to go to college back in the days when Kobe and those kids could de declare, but for every Kobe and Garnett, there were hundreds of Kwame Browns, but Kwame Brown. um, yeah, it, it's, I'm against a restriction in that sense, but, there are often other things at play. If you, you know, 
but whatever it is, the G League hasn't really done what I thought it would do for for eighteen year olds, and I don't think it's as a threat to college ball as we once thought it was. And even further proven by, like we said, guys that even though they're sophomores, guys going to Pepperdine and UCF and Central Michigan and Santa Clara and getting drafted in the lottery. Yep. I mean, you're, you're, like I said earlier, you're seeing it with the, with the emergence of these teams coming into the tournament and making noise. So again, the draft tomorrow night, uh, we'll hit on this next week. The boys will be back next, uh, probably Wednesday or Thursday, Brandon and Robbie. And I'm sure we will talk about picks, potential trades. There's a lot of trade rumors. Um, my Pistons, will they keep the number five? There's a lot of talk around here. Zion Williams, I know uh, the, the Pelicans are potentially looking to move him. I'm I'm a little, um, little iffy on that. I don't know. He doesn't seem to stay healthy, but when he's on the court, he's productive. So, um, a lot of ans- answers or questions will be answered next week, and uh, we'll hit on that next week. But still sticking with the NBA, we're going to talk about this one right here. What a play by Bradley Beal. That his athleticism was off the chart like this. What a pass. Chris Paul to Busy rolling for two. What a sweet feed by you. Close up. He doesn't have those dreads anymore. Yep. The trade of Bradley Beal to the Suns. Uh, the fighting Ishbia's out in Phoenix. Uh, just he keeps throwing more money, throwing more money. Uh, gets Bradley Beal, so that makes four guys now that are going to be on the uh, starting court, not not uh, mention uh, Aiton. They're going to be fighting for the ball. Chris Paul goes to Washington, uh, and I know he was a little unhappy, actually heard the news from his son, sent him a text message, said, hey, Dad, uh, Jerry, you're traded to Washington? Uh, so he's a little uptight about that. Uh, Landry Shamit goes uh, to Washington as well. Now it seems that the Wizards are looking to already move Chris Paul, and the likely destination could be the Clippers. Uh, do you see that happening, and is that the right fit for Chris Paul? You know, Robbie and I will wax on the fact that Chris Paul is going to go to the Lakers at prime of his career and Dan Gilbert and other whiny players complained about a monopoly and teams getting a big three. And it was a perfect fit at the time. Uh, that's what the Kobe days and that never happened. And, and now he's a 38 year old point guard who's due 30 million this year and 30 million next only half of it's guaranteed for this coming year. There is no way he stays on Washington. After that point, you're right. Like, but it's like the Lakers and the Clippers. Do they really need an older player? Yes, Chris Paul is an amazing pass first, one of the purest point guards ever. However, he gets hurt all the time. He's not going to play a full year. His defense is 
is certainly suffering. You know, I, I would take him, but it would have to be at a reduced rate for sure. Because you just – you may get half a year out of a 38-year-old. Well, I mean, look at this, this year. <laughs> he pulls a groin in, in, right in the start of the playoffs, and, and, and he's not available. And, and how much of that injury hurt Phoenix? Oh, my God. Everything. When you have two shooters that, you, you know, need a fair and equal – pure point to get them the ball right where they want it, you, you know, and not force the ball to either. I mean, it's, he was the key to those deals. And it, it, it's also why, even though Phoenix didn't have to give up much, like, I'm not sure who's going to be like the point guard here, uh, but I, I guess we'll see. But uh, um, yeah, in, in terms of, you know, a landing spot, you know, he could go back to Phoenix on a, a cheaper contract, like you said, the Clippers. And they um, need a bench. They have no bench. Nothing. And he's going to have to be very cheap. Um, mm-hmm. Boston would be another place that he could go and play, not be asked to do too much and be that pure pure point that they need. Um, I've heard Miami. You know, we don't know about Kyle Lowry. And Gabe Vincent is, you know, sometimes he looks more like a two than a pure point, that's for sure. Um, and maybe even Philly, you know, that another team that, that that has scores. So you're looking at teams that have pieces and maybe that have guys that are handling the ball too much that could benefit from a savvy veteran that uh, is completely pass first and will get the ball where they like it. But it's kind of an old right price tag. And Chris Paul's got to understand he's not getting 30 mil anymore for no. being 40 at that position. Mm-hmm. It's not happening. So do you think Beal will fit in nicely with this Phoenix offense, or are, are they going to have a situation? KD wants the ball. He's the, he's the number one. And then it kind of goes down the list from there. So he's a, he's a scorer, and that video showed. I mean, the, the guy the guys can, can drive the lane. He's very athletic. He's the prototypical today's number two. Um, he's he's going to want to score. So is there going to be problems in Phoenix – with handling who's going to shoot the ball more. Yes, because there's only one basketball. And now they have three guys that are volume shooters that can all score for 40 on any given night and no pure point guard. Devin Booker is not a point guard. No. I don't care what people say. Cameron Payne is the closest thing, but he's obviously limited. I didn't understand the deal on either level. Again, Washington should have traded him years ago. Um, I don't know what Phoenix is doing because now they've got nothing for a bench. And we, we all know how that happens, like you said. Um, but, no, I, I I was very shocked by that because the last thing they needed was another score. Mm-hmm. Um, so none of this really made sense to either team for me, from my perspective. I don't can, think anybody won. Do you, think, do you think Andre Ayton is – in the starting rotation starting next year? Or do you think maybe he's a name that they could kind of move and, and get some pieces along the way? They better trade him because there's no place for him in that offense, and he knows it. Plus, he's a bad clubhouse guy. His attitude yeah, yeah. shows, and, and you can see the guy sulk. You know, that that's their only asset they have right now, really, that, that is young and has potential that's still on the upswing. 
more or less, um, you know, he's 24 years old and in the right offense, you know, he, he can do very well, but like, like you said, you know, Phoenix getting another score is like Detroit getting another big guy, like a four or five. They just, they got like 30 of them and mm-hmm. they don't need them. Like they're not addressing what they need. And I don't know what the hell they're thinking. I really don't. And then I hear today that uh, the Pistons are calling Philly, uh, inquiring about Tobias Harris, who is a good ball player, but he was here already. He, he played here. And yeah. And he plays a position that they don't need. Uh, I just, I just hope Troy Weaver gets it right. Uh, he hasn't gotten it right in the draft. I think Cade Cunningham has been very suspect. Number one pick two years ago. He's played probably three quarters of one season. Last year he missed about ninety percent of the season from an injury that I don't even know. They're saying it was like a calf injury or something, and he missed. He's just. It's been a very big disappointment. So another another trade that went down late tonight, or I, I don't think it's finalized, but the pieces are are there. Kristaps uh, Porzingis going to go to Boston. It's a three-way deal. The, the Clippers are going to get uh, Brogdon from the Celtics, who had a really nice playoff run. Wow. The, the Wizards, Marcus Morris, the Morris brothers, I, don't, I think they're the most traded traded tandem ever in the history of the NBA. Uh, they've probably played on every NBA team between the two of them. Amir Coffey, uh, Gallinaris is a possibility throw in with Washington, and they're also going to get the 30th pick, which will be the last pick of the first round in this year's draft. So Washington seems like they're they're in a full, full-out rebuild. Chris Paul uh, will not be there. He'll be traded just like John Wall when we, he came to the Pistons last year. So uh, they're freeing up money. They're getting some young guys. So it'll be interesting with that. What uh, what are the Clippers giving up there? You know, it's, it's interesting, though, that Brogdon was just signed by, from Indiana by Boston on a two-year to be that missing piece, to be that bench guy. Um, played in every game, didn't start. You know, he, he was a lot of glue, man, like 14, 4-4 four and four type guy, um, many different tools. So for them to turn around and, and trade him right away, was that's very interesting. Um, right. and, and does, does that kind of paint the picture that they're not going to go after Chris Paul? Seeing they're bringing in a, 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 a guard here, a, an well, athletic guard that can score? You know, I, I wouldn't call Brogdon a – He's more of a hard nose. I wouldn't call him a pure point by any stretch. You know, a guy averaging three assists per game or four assists, whatever. Sure, a lot of that's with the second unit. But, um, you know, Marcus Smart is a guy that's going to look to pass first, but he's a guy that can play all over. But, you know, one thing about Brogdon is he kind of does some of the same things Derek White does, and I think they envisioned him doing more – and differently and, and and being a better shooter, but he wasn't. So I, I it was an experiment. I guess it didn't work out, but yeah, as you can tell, I'm so confused by that. I'm kind of talking my way around uh, <laughs> in that respect. And I'm avoiding your question, but what are the Clippers getting out of this again? You said, I'm sorry. Uh, oh, they're, no. getting, they're getting Brogdon. Oh. What are the Clippers giving up? Because Chris Paul, no. Chris Paul is their only pure point. 
Because right now it's Smart, Brogdon, and and technically they'll even list uh, Derek White as a point. But none of those guys are real point guards. We all know that. So having a pure point would help. Maybe anchor them the way Lowry did in Miami. Yeah. So I, I think it'd be a great fit. But what are the Clippers giving up here? Because that's what I'm failing to understand. I, I guess Morris, Morris, Morris. Yeah, Mirkoff. Yeah, I yeah. mean, yeah, like, uh, I don't know how these things always seem to work out for the Clippers. They don't ever win, but it's just like, how do they make these deals? Well, when your uh, owner, Steve Vellmer, a local Detroiter, who, who has more money than like ten owners combined, I don't. The guy's ridiculous. He could just take chances, but who knows? I knew he was a Detroiter from the first time I watched him courtside. <laughs> Funny story. There's like six owners in the NBA that are local or have an affiliation with the state of Michigan. It's pretty crazy. It's pretty crazy. And, I, and, and our owner, uh, T-shirt Tom Gorris, oh, not a fan. He's, he's a disaster, but I digress. <laughs> All of them made their fortunes elsewhere back in the day. Which Absolutely. Is a lot, sadly, uh from one from one shit story to another man bob huggins how how mighty they fall he resigns this week after a dui charge did you happen to see his blood alcohol level no man i, I did not it was like it was like 0.21 or 0.22 i don't know how did he even find his car to begin with he should, that he should have never even be able to find his keys at that point. But that's his second DUI. He got one when he was when he was coach of he was a Cincinnati coach, wasn't he? He was. Yeah. So I I think it was oh two was his first DUI. And then this is on the heels of a a rather shocking comment that he made on live sports radio about the Xavier uh University, uh, which caused the uh, school to basically take a million dollars from his his salary, and then five weeks later, he's without a job. Bob Huggins, very animated, a lot lot like Bobby Knight. He didn't really care what people thought, you know. Didn't care what people, you know. What he had to say he was he's unfiltered, kind of an old school guy. Where does he list as far as some of the greater greater coaches in, in college basketball? I mean, there's no doubt the guy can coach and in a certain style. He's kind of a Bobby Knight-esque, but even Bobby Knight had class to him and Bob Huggins is not. No. Um, as I told you, I got to, you know, I, as an Indian kid and son of a doctor, I didn't want to go to medical school. I knew that wasn't my route. And the University of Cincinnati was a first tier law school that gave me a free ride. And I thought, hey, why not? Going from La Jolla to Cincinnati, Jack and Cokes were $3.00. I could deal with this for free for three years, except for my uh, my living expenses. But the first day when they meet with the law school dean, and I, I've told this story before, and they basically had a chart structure, and it goes to the law school dean, they answer to the board, and then the board answers to Bob Huggins, like as a joke, over the whole university. And that's when Kenyon Martin in Cincinnati was number one team in the country, and the basketball program was, was top three in the country. Um, and he could do whatever he want and wanted to, and – it sure as hell seems like he's kept that attitude wherever he has gone, whether it be what the Kansas State or I think for, you know, kind of worked his way back in West Virginia is one of those programs in that state where they 
you know, they want to win and they mm-hmm. are willing to sacrifice a lot of things. So they know when you're at point two one, and I just saw some things about how wasted he was and how he said he was like in Columbus and tried a three point turn and almost backed into a wall, shredded a tire. all didn't know his name type thing or yeah. The you're disturbing, the disturbing thing about the live situation was the guys that the radio guys, they played into it and they kept it going. Oh yeah. And and they're like, Oh, there's no one like no one better than, than good old coach Bob. It's like, where's your class? Where's your uh, moral compass? Because after that point, the the radio station should have pulled a plug on the interview. It kept going. And, and, and it just, maybe it's just the culture, the nature of, of West Virginia, that they don't really care about what is being said as long as there's production being done on the court. But yeah, I mean, it just, that was pretty bad, pretty bad look all, all together. And the fact that he kept his job after that, that, that speaks volumes in a whole nother chapter. It's, it's sickening. And yeah, you can tell that West Virginia is one of those places where transfers have always gone, even between the portal and, you know, people have kind of accepted anything about your past because they want to win. Um, you know, they'll love kids on the team regardless of race, but they'll say otherwise off the court. And this is just from actual accounts that I've read and heard. Um, certainly historically. Those guys certainly had – they were starstruck. I mean, that's for sure, those those announcer radio guys, because he could have said anything about, like, you know, kicking puppies or uh, anything, you know, whatever it may have been, and they would have, like, chuckled it up and, ha, ah, that's old coach. And they did. They did. And, it was, it was, yeah, it was, it was, it was really sickening, and there's just a lack of sense of or standards of, of what is right and what is wrong and – and again, it speaks a lot to what they're willing to sacrifice and in order to win. And obviously that whatever it was, finally they saw the light. And it makes me wonder what he has gotten away with. Because oh, sure. I know for sure at Cincinnati he did all kinds of dirty shit. Mm-hmm. And only finally had to part with the university. Um, and, and in this type of case, West Virginia, I mean, they can look the other way when he uses – uh, a homophobic slur, uh, also religious bigotry in one statement, but then, then they can look the other way. But when you have a DUI, I guess, in public and cops and uh, public record, and like I said, all these people saw him and was probably in his sub, his neighborhood is complex and probably wouldn't have gotten even a ticket. Um, it doesn't matter when it comes to that stuff, let alone at his B- BAC, uh, it's it's just unforgivable and it they didn't have a choice i guess so like i said it, it makes you wonder what he did get away with there but mm-hmm. um it, it's just sad it, it's fitting and thank god no one was hurt sure absolutely. and in that sense it's certainly karma for bob huggins because so, you're not better than that and and that's that's sort of like one of god's laws and god's standards drinking and driving and, and you're not going to get away from that. Yep. Sooner or later, that train's going to going to catch you. It, it does, and we've all had our wake up calls, and that's not something I would ever. We've all done things when we were buzzed, especially when we were younger, and and we're fine, no worries, dude. Like mm-hmm. you know, we joke about it. Um, 
but live long enough and it'll affect you whether personally uh when it comes to being you know you the subject other friends being victims or or arrested whatever it may be it's just it's so easily avoidable and it's oh. so not worth it especially in this day and age yep. of right share and everything i mean it, it yeah it, it leaves one of the few things that leaves me speechless now but i've been personally affected as well so he's an asshole and he's getting what he deserves i just thank god that he did not hurt anyone else on that night and like I said, in years past, they probably would have covered it up, you know, in Cincinnati and West Virginia. So real quick answer, will he coach again in college basketball? Division one, no. Could he go D2 or D3? I mean, what is he, 69? No, I mean, I can't see him getting a maybe NAIA local some shit. Somebody will go. Oh, we got Bob Huggins. He's reformed. He's, you know, but I – God forbid he ever get a job in D1. No. Yeah. He, no way. Sure. Well, are you ready? Are you ready for the next segment? Ooh. Are, you, are you prepared? Because it's that time. It's time for Bet Your Nuts. That's right. It's Bet Your Nuts, where we give you the bet, you take it, and you make some money. Raj, what do you got this week? There wasn't much for money making. Um, I was going to bet against the Dodgers tonight because Shohei Otani was on the mound, and the Dodgers have more guys on the I.L. than I've ever seen. Seven guys this year, as we put on our Reckless Speculation Twitter page, have made their debuts, MLB debuts, not debuts with the Dodgers, which is sad. Uh, Mike, uh, Michael Grove was pitching, who's got like an eight ERA against Otani. Um, right now it's one nothing. So my over, uh, my over bet, uh, I didn't make it. So we're gonna go with that. Um, I was trying to think of NBA draft bets. I really like Derek Lively, the center from Duke to Dallas if he's still on the board. I think that's a great bet. I've seen that prop bet. That would be him at number 10. Um, others, a lot of Laker fans believe that it's a lock that they will get Hawkins from Connecticut, but he's shooting up draft boards. I don't think he'll be there, but um, I don't have much of a bet, but I know the Lakers need a spot shooter. So um, I'm saying either – Hawkins or Howard for the Lakers at 16. All right. That's a shitty bet, dude. So they also need a big power forward and another guy that could drop. You know, I'd love to get Grady Dick, but uh You just you just want you just want to have that jersey. I, I definitely would have <laughs> loved to have dude. Like a you, number of just love that name. <laughs> to, Number 11, Dick, you know, a couple of phallus looking numbers there. I, like I needed to say that for emphasis, but I would love to have a, a, a Dick jersey. I think it would be fitting. <laughs> I, think I, I got like, nothing. It's a huge, huge I, sale for the Lakers, I'm sure. No shit, dude. Off season is usually the, you guys coming up with racing and golf and bets, so I don't have to do much until football. So 
I forgot about that part. I'm going to go tomorrow night baseball up in San Francisco. They got the Padres playing the Giants. Blake Snell's on the mound for the Padres. Alex Wood's on the mound for San Francisco. I'm going to go San Francisco money line plus 100. Uh, they're a good home team. San Diego just, for whatever reason, they're, they're very uh, hit or miss. They're hot and cold. So like have been a roller coaster the last couple of years. Um, I like San Francisco in that one. And then to go NASCAR, uh, give me Kyle Busch plus 750 to win. I know Robbie would like that pick. Uh, I, I avoided his his Larson pick. Uh, he's the favorite, but uh, I'm going to go Kyle Busch. The, the Giants have won uh, their nine in a row. They've won nine out of the last ten, obviously, and uh, they just swept out in L.A. for the first time in like 10 or 11 years. They're hot, man, and Webb and Wood, just they keep you in every game. And they called up uh, Luis Matos, I believe. Matos? I can't remember. But they're hitting, man. And L.A., with our injuries, we fell to third in the division, which is sad. But Yeah, they'll be back. San Francisco right now has got a lot of guys like Wood and Webb that will keep you in every game. I hope we'll be back. We're getting some guys back tomorrow, starting with Muncie. But I love that bet, man. I'm going to actually put money on that. That's a good bet. All right. Perfect. Well, we're going to go into the final segment tonight. And again, um, we're we're missing Robbie and we're missing Brandon, who are enjoying their uh, beach vacations. I'm sure we are very jealous here as we're uh, now an uh, hour and 21 into it. I know Robbie would be just cringing right now if he were here. But uh, uh, Raj, you got some final words tonight. Yeah, oddly enough, I'm going to keep this one brief, which is probably why we went over. But this is going to be a crazy draft. And we try to come up with inventive segments, player comps, you know, things that we didn't get even have time to get into. Guys like Grady Dick being, like, identical to Kyle Korver, but, you know, being more athletic. But um, this is going to be a crazy draft. And we didn't want to be run-of-the-mill because a mock draft this year would be the dumbest shit ever because it's just going to be – We tried that with the NFL, and look what, what happened with that uh, this is going to be times a million when it comes to that. Like, I, I believe, you know, the same seven teams have 17 picks. I, I think 30. we discussed earlier uh, of 30, which is like 56, 57%. Uh, the Pacers have seven, 26, 29, 32. Houston, four and 20. Detroit has two picks, correct? Uh, they have uh, five and 31. Five and 31. Portland has three and 23. Utah has 9, 16, and 28. Brooklyn, 21 and 22. Charlotte, 2 and 27. Um, that's over like 60% of the draft right there. And that's not going to happen. Those guys are not going to keep drafting. They're going to keep rebuilding. They're going to flip those into assets, let other teams want to jump up. All of those teams that are trying to move up and just get that extra piece. So there's going to be crazy trade activity tomorrow. Teams moving up. And then what about stars that, you know, there's been a lot of smoke around guys for years. Lillard. We saw Beal getting dealt. Paul. John Collins in Utah. Clarkson. I believe he's a free agent. But Collins Sexton in Utah. Yep. Um, there's a lot of talent there. The two guys, a big team to watch is Toronto. Uh, and a boy and, and Pascal Siakam. Are they going to stay there? Because they're rebuilding. You know, that between the 
the good guys that need to be moved and those teams that want to get up and the same seven kind of bottom feeders having all those picks, there's going to be a shitload of activity tomorrow. Mm-hmm. So after the first three picks, which even that order is not guaranteed, Wemby at one is all that's assured. Oh, sure. uh, it's just going to be a freaking total shit show and don't even bother mocking because you're wasting your time. <laughs> For sure. For sure. Well, my final words tonight are baseball is back. It was, I believe, the second weekend in a row this past weekend where it was like 1.5 million fans uh, went to uh, games. Mm. And it was, I forget the total amount. It, it was the highest number consecutive weekend in like the last 10 years. And I attest this to the fact that you have teams like the Cincinnati Reds who won their 11th game in a row today. The Arizona Diamondbacks, who have one of the best offenses in baseball. Pittsburgh Pirates. This team is exciting. They're right in the midst of the, the uh, NL Central. There's a lot of teams that, I'll use your, your term, bottom feeders, that are exciting. And, and if Baltimore crushing it, you know, great yes, baseball I mean, towns. There's a lot of teams that, they're great sports. They're great baseball cities. Cincinnati is a perfect example. I mean, they've got a really good fan base, but they just haven't had anything to cheer about. And coming into this season, who would have thought that they would have anything to cheer about? But uh, De La Cruz comes up. This kid's unbelievable. He's been uh, as advertised. Joey Votto comes back from 10 months being out. His first game, he hits a home run. I mean, I it, this, this team is, is exciting to watch, and they're young pitching man the pitching's like coming out of nowhere but it's a great point man you know i I of course go to my la dodger roots because we had a weekend series with the giants which you had fifty five thousand every you know fifty thousand every night literally um you know la leads baseball in attendance but it's because our stadium is so big and we still fill it but we also had the yankees the weekend before and that was fifty three thousand every night so that helps Sure. sure but you're absolutely right man there used to be just empty ballparks and that's not the case anymore today it's today crazy. in houston wednesday game they were giving away uh a ring a replica ring um thirty-eight thousand at uh the minute maybe for a day game that that's impressive that that's that's really impressive now indoors are they getting they going there to, to beat the heat maybe but hey you know it's exciting i just even my tigers they go to minnesota the past weekend they take three or four the the first place team and they take two or three against kansas city I and mean, this is a team that no one gave a, a snowball's chance in hades to do anything they're not going to but they're fun they're exciting they're going to lead the league and being shut out but man they came back with vengeance today scored nine runs so I guess my, my overall point is baseball is, is, is coming back. I think fans are excited that the, the pitch clock, the time of game, I think has really changed a lot of people's perspective of going to games instead of sitting through a four hour, three and a half hour game, which I have no problem with, but the average, you know, run of the mill fan doesn't want to do that. So it's changed the average time of a game is like two to two hours and like give or take a few minutes. So, to someone that's looking for something to do during the week or on a Friday night, like, hey, 
it won't take up my entire night. So I think that's a lot to do with it. And again, some of these these teams that are just young and exciting and fun to watch. So, hey, the Angels, another team, a lot yeah. of front runners in OC, you yep. know, but mm-hmm. they're winning and people are coming out. They're selling out right now because the Dodgers are there, but that's usually ninety percent blue, just like in San Diego, and it's not anymore. So. Yeah. People are showing up, man, and yeah. you're right. It's, it's exciting. There's more parity, and and uh, yeah, it's kind of the opposite of the NBA. Those young draft picks are same. You know, they're they're given chances to other teams. You can rebuild. Whereas in the NBA, it's the same. Like ten teams with that many picks are gonna still have those picks next year. Yeah, absolutely. So, well, we're gonna wrap it up tonight. Uh, Raj, this was fun. Just the two of us. Um, I love it. We'll be looking forward to next week when. We'll have the crew back. Uh, don't forget to like and follow all the socials that have been uh, strolling across the bottom of the, st- the screen. Again, thank you so much for Davis and Keller, Attorneys at Law, and CNW Instruction for being sponsors for our show. And uh, with that being said, uh, we'll look forward to seeing you guys next week. Thanks for listening to another episode of Reckless Speculation. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, TikTok, and YouTube searching Reckless Speculation. Catch us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. We look forward to catching you right here next week with another exciting episode of Reckless Speculation. Cheers. Cheers.